Well, this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, you, you may be wondering, why are we going to 1 Peter? I, I, I originally intended to do something of a vision message this morning, kind of share with you some of our initiatives, things that we're planning this next year. And, and quite honestly, the more I prayed about it, you know what we're going to do this next year? We're going to do the same things we've always been doing. We're just going to stick to God's plan, God's mission, the Great Commission. We're going to continue to preach the Word. We're going to continue to send out missionaries, and, and we're going to continue to be about God's work. And so nothing has changed when it comes to that. Um, we're pretty consistent in what we do here. I hope you know that if you're new to us. Hopefully you find that out pretty quickly being around us. But as I was reading, as I began the year, I, I, there's three chapters that I just love, some of my favorite chapters in God's Word. I love to start the year trying to memorize those chapters and just immerse myself in them. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2, and Matthew chapter 5. They're chapters that I know and I love. But as I was reading through 1 Peter and, and I came across these verses, God just really began to challenge me and convict me. Um, and so God has been working in my heart to challenge me as I look forward and set some goals and some things I want to accomplish this next year. And and, and so I, I just want to challenge you as well. You know, I, I live with the great awareness to, um, to the fact that the, the greatest deterrent to all that God wants to do in the advancement of his kingdom right here at Lenexa Baptist, the greatest deterrent is me. I mean, it starts with me. And my, my prayer, you need to know this, a lot of times is God protect Lenexa Baptist Church from Chad. And Lord, you got to guide us. And I need you to work in my heart. Um, because I'm just like you. I can get off track if I'm not careful. And God has been challenging me to realign some of my focuses as I begin this year. And, and God stepped on my toes and misery loved company. So I'm just going to draw you in this morning. You'll get a little bit of it too. But I just say that on the front end to let you know it, I'm passionate about these things. I don't intend to be mean. I, I, I just, so just know God's been working on me. He's been rounding off the rough edges in me uh, first. And I'm just sharing with you some of what God has placed on my heart. So I'm not preaching at you. The Lord's been working on me. I hope that makes sense to you. But 1 Peter chapter 1, you know this is so odd. I don't like to do this just to jump in and get three verses or four verses or five verses. It's always best when you can study the book. But let me do my best to give you some of the context here. 1 Peter is a letter written to a group of Christians that are scattered and dispersed throughout Asia and Bithynia. And, and, and they're being persecuted. They're going through a very difficult time. And um, so you can imagine they're, they're in a dark day. They're trusting in Christ. But things aren't going well. Um, every time they think there's a little light at the end of the tunnel, it's only an ongoing train. And, 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 and they're just, they're emotionally and probably physically and spiritually worn out. And maybe they're thinking of throwing in the towel and giving up. Anybody enter into 2021 with a similar experience today? And we get two weeks into 2021 and it doesn't look like it's getting a whole lot better. And you're thinking, my goodness, every time we see a little light at the end of the tunnel, it just find out it's, it's an oncoming train. And so we're, we're, sometimes if we're not careful, we'll begin to get a little discouraged or downtrodden. And, and Peter is writing to a group of believers that are in a very similar situation. And the first thing he really says to them is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he, you know what he begins by saying? God is great. And they're probably looking at him like he's got three heads. Peter, I don't know what world you're living in, brother, because it doesn't look too great where we're at. And so if Peter's going to make a statement like that, he better have some facts to back it up. So as he moves through that first 12 verses, he begins to tell them why God is great. And he, he reminds them God is great because, 
because he's a merciful God. And in his mercy, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Anybody say amen to that this morning? That he's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection. That we have a hope that because Christ lives, so shall we one day when we die. And not just a living hope, but he says that we have an inheritance in Christ that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, that no matter what happens to us in this world, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how bleak it becomes, no matter what this world does to us, we got an inheritance in Christ that's coming to us one day. It's a reserved spot in heaven. And all of that, he says, comes to us on the basis not of what we do, but on the basis of what we believe. That simply by trusting in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we're born again, and we have hope, and we have an inheritance. That's an amazing salvation. And he goes on to tell them it's a salvation that the Old Testament prophets, they investigated. They they looked into these things. They made searching and investigation into this great salvation that you and I know. You understand this today, that the least disciple of Jesus Christ today knows more and is in a better position to understand Old Testament revelation than any great man or woman who lived and served God before Christ that you and I are in a better position to put together the pieces of Old Testament prophecy than even Isaiah. Folks, if that doesn't astound you, something's wrong this morning. What a great salvation. He says this is the object of the apostles preaching. This was the infatuation of the apostles preaching. What the, the salvation that you and I know. And then, and then he even adds that it's something that angels long to look into. Do you know the angels of, of God long to know the salvation? The angels just look at, with great wonder. God, what kind of God are you that you would offer salvation to these wicked sinners? Yeah, I love to just picture the angel just sitting on the ledge of heaven looking down. Messenger comes to him and says, hey, watch this, guys. There's this guy named Saul. He's on a road to Damascus. He thinks he's in control. He's going to persecute the people of God. And the light of heaven comes and the angels watch as the scales fall from Paul's, Saul's eyes and becoming Paul. And he's, he's got a new look in his eyes and he's got a song in his heart. And the angels just break out in song because that's what Jesus says they do when any sinner repents. You, you want to get the angels fired up today? Lead somebody to faith in Christ. And they just start singing. He says, this salvation, the angels long to know it. Can we not say today on the basis of the salvation that we have received, God is great. What an amazing salvation that we have received. But then the question then becomes, what do we do with it? What's the response? How should we respond to such a great salvation? Is it enough to just tip the hat and say, thank you, Lord, and then just go on about your way and sit around and do nothing and just wait for Christ to return? No, in light of this salvation, there's a life we should live. We've been bought with a price. We're not our own. And so Paul or Peter moves very quickly in verse 13 from the condition that we know in Christ to the commands. He, remo- he moves from belief to behavior, from salvation to service. That you and I are called to do something. That Christianity is not just meditating on a set of doctrines and ideas. Those are good things to do. But it should be transformation. That's our goal. The, the, the goal is not education. It's not just to fill our heads. Then we just become arrogant Christians. The goal is broken hearts and lives that are transformed by the gospel that we've received. And so Peter quickly moves to the commands, and he rattles off these commands. Having known the salvation, here's what you got to do. And so he gives us five commands. We're going to look at them this morning. I'm going to try to condense them down into three challenges as we we leave. But let's look together at verses 13 through 16. It says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. 
fix your hope completely upon the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in ignorance, but like the, the one who called you, the holy one who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior because it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Father, we, we ask that you would bless the study of your word this morning. God, we ask that you bless not the speaker, but your word. God, I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts and change us. God, we want to be changed this morning. We, we want to be moved, compelled to action on the basis of the salvation that we have received. So open our eyes to the clear and plain, plain, plain truths and principles of the Scripture and make it simple, Lord, so that we might apply it to our lives and that we wouldn't just be hearers of the Word but doers also. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look at these, these five commands this morning. You, you Noted there, he, he starts out, prepare your minds for action. Uh, the King James Version says, gird up the loins of your mind. And that day they wore these uh, flowing robes. And, and so in order for them to run or move or act or, or to fight or whatever they were doing, they'd have to pull up their robe, kind of tuck it into their belt. Essentially what he's saying here is, is roll up your sleeves. It's, it's what you say to men and women right before they go into the battle. It, it's, it's the call that went out on December 7, 1941, when Pearl Harbor was bombed and, and, and men and women were gathered in football stadiums and, that, and the call went out that leave is over. If you're a serviceman or woman, return to base immediately. The battle is on. Peter is calling us. You know this salvation, but get ready. Prepare your mind for a battle. The battle is on. And it's so interesting to me as you think about the, really the key to spiritual victory in a dark world. The key begins with our minds. It begins with our mental preoccupation. It, it begins with what we think about. Well, what's the preoccupation of your mind? What is the focus of your thoughts? Yeah, I, I truly believe that one of the reasons that so many Christians are inactive or defeated spiritually is because the mental focus, the preoccupation of their mind is on the junk food of this world rather than the Word of God. That there is no spiritual preparation for the battle that's before you every day. There is no mental and spiritual preparation apart from the Word of God. There is no way you can expect to succeed spiritually in your daily walk with Christ if you are not abiding in the Word of God and preparing yourself mentally for the battles that you're going to face. The Chiefs have a game this afternoon. I don't know if you've heard. Many of you probably didn't even know about it. But there's a game today. And, and if they just sat around all week and ate potato chips and watched TV, they surely couldn't expect a victory on Sunday. But I guarantee you this week, that that is a team that has been very laser-focused on a battle that they know is coming on Sunday. And so there's probably a lot of things they didn't do and places they didn't go and additional mental energy that has been, been preoccupied with studying a team so that they're ready to go on Sunday. Listen to me. This afternoon, tomorrow morning when you get up, you are engaged in the spiritual battle. And if you aren't preparing your mind spiritually on the basis of God's word, you are setting yourself up for defeat and failure. 
Jesus Christ, how did he defend himself against the attacks of the enemy when he was tempted? On the basis of God's word. There was a mental preparation on the basis of God's word. And not just God's word. Listen, he defeated Satan on the basis of his knowledge of Deuteronomy. How many of you this week, if you were attacked by Satan, could defend your faith on the basis of your knowledge of Deuteronomy? But that's the kind of laser focus that it takes if we're going to have spiritual victory in this world. Your spiritual victory in this world will be no greater than your love and study for the word of God. As Deuteronomy says, this is no idle word for you. It is your very life. What has your mind been feasting on this week? And I I don't like to do these things, but I got a little bit of a soapbox here that I'm going to jump on for just a moment. Social media. How many of you would honestly say this morning that you spent more time in God's word than you did on social media? And how many of you would be willing to say that your time in social media made you more holy? Boy, I'm so grateful I spent a couple hours on social media because I've become more Christ-like as a result of it. I mean, let's just baseline this thing. Did it even make you more joyful or did it make you more angry? Then why are the world are we hanging out there? I'm not calling for a ban on social media. But listen to me, if our time on social media outweighs our time in God's word, don't expect to be real victorious in your life this week. Where, what's the focus of your thoughts in your mind? Meditate in the word of God. A lot of voices in this world. Your life, and, and we know this today. We know it now more than we ever have This world has an agenda for you. Social media, advertisements, all those things, they have an agenda. They have a way that they want you to think. And they have a path that they want you to go down. So you got all these voices bombarding you. And the goal of the Christian, the necessity of the Christian, is to ensure that the voice of God is louder and clearer in our life than any other voice. Which means we got to be in God's word. Prepare your mind for action. Secondly, keep sober in spirit. Can't achieve spiritual victory without sober spirit. And sober as opposed to drunk. A drunk person, they've lost touch with the reality. They're not thinking straight. Their their thinking is clouded. And because their thinking is clouded, they, they oftentimes don't make good decisions. And a lot of times those decisions lead them to very destructive places. You and I are the opposite of that. We're not drunk on the stuff of this world. Our minds are sobered up. We see this world clearly. We see this world through the truth of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. We know it. We see ourselves for who we are. We see God for who he is. We we know our purpose. And therefore, we have different values. We have different priorities. We make different decisions that lead us to different destinations. We've sobered up. We've realized that the stuff of this world, it's, it's going to rust, rot, and fade. So, so we don't invest a whole lot in that. We have insider knowledge. We know this world is coming down. And we know the things of heaven are the only things that last. And so we trade the things of earth for the things of eternity. 
We found hope and meaning in Christ. We're sober-minded. Our lives are not driven simply by our biological urges. Most people in this world, they're living lives that are no different than a gerbil. They're just on one of them gerbil wheels, you know. They get up in the morning, stick a little food in their mouth so that they can go to work, make a little money, buy a nice house, drive a nice car, get home, watch a little TV, go to bed, get back up the next day. Guess what they do? Stick a little food in their mouth, go to work so they can drive a nice car, live in a nice house. And they just get on that gerbil wheel until one day the body goes kerplunk. You put them in a grave or in an urn. Say a few nice words, eat fried chicken or some sandwiches, and go on about your way. How glorious is that? Folks, you and I, we've, so, we've jumped off the gerbil wheel a long time ago, amen? We realize that all this stuff rusts, rots, and fade. We understand that there is a God who is a divine being who left the glory of heaven, came to this earth, died for my sins, and saved me, not just so that I could have eternal life, but so that I could have life and meaning today. Most people don't need to be asking, is there life after death? They need to be asking themselves, is there life before death? And the resounding answer of Christ is, yes, there is. He came that we could have a meaningful, purposeful life, that we could live for something better than our biological and bigger than our biological urges. And so this divine being who is God gets all of our life. Now, we're sober in spirit. We, we look at young men like Glenn Luke and last night, Maddie Brower, and these young individuals who are giving their life away to missions, and the world says, what a waste. And we look at these young men and women and say, no, no. Those young men and women are wise. They are sober-minded. Because they know the stuff of this world is fading. And the only things that will last are the things of Christ. They've sobered up. They're making different investments. Because they have different values. Sober-minded, sober in spirit. Then, then thirdly, fix your hope. Fix your hope. Fix your hope completely in the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Everybody today is hoping in something. And we know this to be true, and we're learning it more and more every day. And let me remind you again this morning, if you are placing your hope in anything or anyone other than Christ, you are bound for disappointment every time. For us as Christians, our hope is completely, meaning undivided, undistracted, is completely upon Christ. All of our hopes, all of our ambitions are in Him. And we as Christians, we're pretty simple people. One passion, one focus, one ambition. You remember David in the Psalms? This one thing I've asked of the Lord, and I will continually seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days to meditate in his temple and behold his glory. David was a king. He had a lot of things going on. But there was one ambition of his life, and it was the presence of God. You remember Paul? Paul doesn't strike me as an individual who had a whole lot of hobbies. Paul said to the Philippians, brethren, not that I've already obtained all this. Don't think, don't, don't get the wrong idea. I'm not there yet. But this one thing I do. 
forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead. For me to live is Christ. One master passion in Paul's life, and it was Jesus. It was the ambition of his heart. You remember Jesus goes over to Mary and Martha's house? Twelve preachers coming over for supper. How would you ladies like that? And Martha thinks, I got to get a humdinger of a meal ready to go. And praise God for some Marthas in this world. She kind of gets a bad rap. If there weren't Marthas in this world, not much would get done. But Martha is working like crazy over a leg of lamb that's not going well in the kitchen. And where is Mary? Where Mary always is. At the feet of Jesus. And Mary is just sitting there. And Martha, she ruins the party for everybody. God bless her. She doesn't just go over to Mary and say, come here, come here. Will you help me out? No, she ruins the whole deal. Right there. Lord, do you not see the work I'm doing? Can you not ask me... Mary, to help me a little bit, and you remember what Jesus rebuked to her? Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered by so many things. One thing's necessary. It's the good part. That's what Mary wants, and it won't be taken from her. A lot of Christians today, spiritually defeated and inactive. You know why? Because they're bothered and worried by so many things when only one thing is necessary. It's the author of Hebrews, therefore being surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that says before us, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus. Do you get the picture here? One ambition. Only one person gets complete and total allegiance of our life. You know, when I worked at Xerox, and if you worked at Corporate America, you know there was these guys, and I had a manager that was with me, and we would see these guys, and we'd say... That guy has sold his soul for copiers. I mean, just think about that for a minute. He's given his life away for a copier machine. And it was just kind of laughable to us. But you know, there's a lot of people who are selling their souls for some silly stuff. And if you are willing to give your life for anything or anyone other than Christ who died in your place to save you by faith, you might as well be giving your life away for bananas. Your job may get your 40 hours, you give it your best effort, but don't let anyone get your soul but Jesus. You remember Daniel living in Babylon, a difficult dark day? What was the heartbeat of Daniel? I'll take your name, I'll take your job, I'll read your books, I'll learn your language. But do you remember the line he wouldn't cross? Will you eat this food that's been sacrificed to idols? To eat food that had been sacrificed to idols was to symbolically become one with that deity. In other words, what they were saying is, now you've got to change gods. And Daniel said, I'll take your name, I'll take your language, I'll take your job, I'll read your books. But I ain't changing God's. Because my king says you don't do that. And there's only one person who has the allegiance of my soul. You remember not long ago, the Supreme Court, there was this woman who was told she was wrong because she was a florist and she wouldn't do the floral arrangements for a gay wedding. And uh, 
T.D. Jakes, and I don't agree with all of his theology, let me make that disclaimer, but I loved what he said. He said very simply, the world has their rules and we have ours. If they want to decree that, okay. But there is only one Supreme Court in our hearts. Only one person gets the allegiance of our souls. You know what? We will pay our taxes. We will do our best to obey the laws. But there are certain lines we will not cross because our king says you don't go there. He has my soul. Fixed hope. Then finally, or fourthly, don't be conformed. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. The idea here is a prepared mind, a sober spirit, and a fixed hope all occur within the context of a sinful flesh. I don't know about you, but my flesh doesn't, doesn't just tend naturally towards holiness. Maybe I'm the only one, but my, my flesh doesn't tend towards righteousness. And the reminder that Peter is giving here is that we operate within the context of a struggle. You've got to struggle. You've got to fight with your flesh. And this is so important for us to hear that what we feel in our flesh is not paramount. That our bodies, our flesh, they're fallen. And we think things and we feel things that are injurious to our lives. And we have to turn away from them. As Paul said to the Corinthians, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after having preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Folks, it's a reminder. The worst advice you could ever get is go with your heart. Your heart is desperately wicked. And what we feel with our flesh and sometimes even what we think in our minds, we evaluate on the basis of the truthfulness of God's word and we struggle and we fight. That what we feel is not paramount, Christ is paramount. It's true in our marriages, it's true in our Friendships is too in our workplaces. It's true in the quiet places of our life when nobody is around and we're tempted to do things that are not godly or holy but evil and sinful. And and remember, it doesn't matter if 50% of our culture says it's okay. It doesn't matter if 90% of our culture says it's okay because the standard for our living is the truthfulness of God's word. And by the way, essentially what he's saying here is we know better. We know better. We've, did, we've been down those paths, amen? We've learned. Those things don't satisfy, and they only lead to destruction. Don't be conformed. But then finally, he says, be holy. And he quotes from Leviticus. And Leviticus is a tough book to study, but it's incredibly important. Because if you think about it, as we've been going through Genesis, the, one of the great themes of the book of Genesis, in fact, is I've been doing some prep work for the book of Revelation. One of the great themes of Revelation is the sovereignty of God. But one of the great themes of the book of Genesis is the sovereignty of God. We're seeing this, that, that Israel is God's chosen people. God chooses Abraham. He didn't earn it. God chooses Abraham. And then uh, Isaac. And God didn't choose Ishmael. He chose Isaac. And then you move a little further and... God didn't choose Esau, he chooses Jacob, and then we see further down the line, Joseph, and then you get beyond Joseph, we're going to study Joseph's going to have two boys, and it's an amazing story, he brings us to Ephraim and Manasseh to be blessed by God, and, and Jacob goes to bless them, and you remember, uh, he switches his hands, and he puts his hand on the younger, he puts his right hand on the younger, meaning the blessing's going to go to the younger, and you remember Joseph says, Dad, you're, you're getting confused here, you're putting the hand on the wrong one, and Jacob says, no, I'm not getting it wrong. What you see in the book of Genesis, you see the sovereignty of God, that this is a chosen people. 
And then you get to the book of Exodus. It's so much fun. You get to the book of Exodus, and you got Moses being raised up. And Moses, the, the, the nation of Israel, now finds itself in bondage. And Exodus is they're going to exit out. They're going to be redeemed. They're going to be freed from the bondage of Egypt. And how will they be freed? How will they be released? It's not going to come by a great military battle. Guess what it's going to come by? By the foolishness of the blood of a lamb placed on a doorpost. So you get Genesis, you got this chosen people. In Exodus, you get a redeemed people. And then you get over to Leviticus, and all of a sudden, God gives them, starts giving them these dietary codes and moral and ceremonial laws. And what is God saying to the people? He's saying, you're a chosen people, you're a redeemed people, and you're going to be a holy people. You're not just going to be different, you're going to be better. The people of Israel, no graven images. Every other religion around them had idols, graven images. They'd carve out of wood or stone or gold and they make these graven images. God says, you're not going to be any graven image for me because I'm an infinite God. He says, the monument to me in this world will be the impress of my character on my people. In other words, their gods look like them. You look like me. You be holy because I'm holy. And you get over to the New Testament, and what, what does Peter say? In fact, later on in this same letter, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Guess who we are? We're, a, we're chosen people. We're a redeemed people. And we represent God in his world. The idea is you want to know what our God's like? Come on down to Lenexa Baptist Church. And there's a group of people over here that live holy lives. Not just different, not just unique, but better. We are called to live excellent lives in the midst of a, a dark and depraved world, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We're to shine like stars, Paul says in Philippians. We're to make the way of Christ appealing, meaning that the life that we live lends credibility to the message that we preach. And by the way, let me remind you that holiness is not optional for the believer. It's not an elective course. It's, it's required curriculum and it requires courage. If you're going to live a holy life as a young individual, as a young single individual in this world, you better be a person of great courage. You're going to live a holy life as a young couple and a young man or in a business or secular world, it's going to take a great amount of courage. Holiness is not for the faint of heart. It's pervasive. It gets into every area of our lives. This is the thing about holiness. The big things are kind of easy, to be real honest with you. It's when God starts getting in the cracks of your life. You know what I mean? And God just gets down to all the cracks, and he starts moving in to make us holy so that we look like him, so that as we preach the gospel, people are drawn to it like a moth to a flame. And one of the great misnomers about holiness is that it's boring. C.S. Lewis writes about this, that the myth of holiness is that it's boring. Listen to me, holiness is not boring. It is fun and it is lovely. If you've ever been around a holy person, a person that you would consider holy, you get around a holy person for more than five minutes and you want to name your kids after them. I'm going to tell you, the most lovely people you know in your life are holy people. This is what we're called to. Let me, let me give you some applications to try to summarize this as we close. Prepare your minds, keep sober spirit, fix your hope, don't conform, and be holy. How do we do these things? Let me give you three challenges that God has really challenged me. These are basic things. These are, these are the essentials. These are the ABCs. You just got to get them. And 
They never get old. We all need to be reminded. Number one, if you're going to do these things, if you're going to live this way, you must abide in the Word of God. You cannot hear me say this enough. Read your Bible. And I think the reason a lot of people get away, they don't, they don't have a plan. You need a plan to study God's Word. Get a plan to read God's word. If you don't have a plan, let us know. We have Bibles here at the church that will give you. Uh, I use personally in my life, me and Faith use. Our boys did it with us this past year. It's the Daily Walk Bible. It gives you a reading for each day and a devotional thought to go along with it. We love it as a family. Get a plan. Uh, Corey Tinboon said, make an appointment with God and keep it. You ever made an appointment with somebody and you forget it and you miss it? Well, I, I'm going to tell you there are a few things more embarrassing that I've experienced than, than, than to somebody to meet me and I make an appointment with them and then I forget about that appointment. I didn't write it down and I miss it. Listen, I want to make an appointment with God and there would be nothing in my heart that would hurt me more than to know that I made an appointment with God and I missed it. And get an accountability partner with it. I, you know, for us, for me and Faith, it has been such a blessing to me. Faith has always been this way. I'm going to tell you, you know this, man. There is nothing than when I, nothing more challenging me and encouraging to me than to come up from the basement in the morning and see my wife with God's word in her lap and a lamp on and a cup of coffee. We need somebody to challenge us. But know this, you will not be successful, spiritually speaking, this next year if you're not in the Bible. Get a plan, get a partner. Secondly, share Christ. These are the basics, folks. But here's what I know. It, you can't, if you're sharing the gospel, in your, if you're a part of evangelism in your daily life, you have to have a prepared mind. If you're engaged in evangelism, you know you've got to prepare spiritually, you've got to prepare biblically, because you know if you engage in evangelism, you know there's no way you're going to do it on your own. It will hold you accountable. To be sober in spirit, if you're sharing the gospel with people, you will be clear-headed about this world. And you will fix your hope completely upon Christ if you engage in the mission of evangelism. Folks, I, I just, I want to give you a, a disclaimer as we begin this next year, even as we finish out Genesis, as we move to Revelation. You are going to be challenged. You're going to get so tired of hearing me say this. Share your faith. If you are here, if you're, if you're in this church and you're not engaged in the mission of personal evangelism and you know Jesus Christ, this next year you're probably going to get really uncomfortable. And you can hold me accountable and I'll hold you accountable. But listen, it's, the, the time for playing games is over. I am so sick of people saying and talking about how they want to see this nation change. And yet they never share the gospel with anybody. If you call yourself a Christian, stop it. Because we have the hope to change our nation. And it's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And it's time we put aside things that don't matter and we focus on what does matter. Because listen to me, I don't know where we're at specifically in God's salvation history, but I know we're one day closer than we were yesterday. And the Jonah call goes out that we have a world of Nineveh today that is out there. And spiritually speaking, they don't know their right hand from their left. And the only hope they have is Jesus Christ. And how will they hear without a preacher? I mean, just think of yourself prior to coming to faith in Christ. Aren't you grateful that somebody was bold enough to speak the truth of Christ into your life and tell you about the hope of Jesus so that you could know him and walk with him and have purpose and meaning in this world? God, help us. So that's what we're about here at Lenexa Baptist Church. And I just want to forewarn you that God has convicted my heart to be more bold in my sharing the gospel And I'm going to challenge you in a similar way. You know, it starts with our thoughts, prepare your mind. But it says, prepare your minds for action. As I was thinking about that, in in Judges chapter 5, Deborah and Barak win this great military victory. And Deborah writes this song. It's a beautiful song. She talks about how they gathered together and they fought and they won. But she, she talks about this one tribe. And I love how she works them into the, into the song. And she's just kind of poking at them, I think. But she talks about the tribes of Reuben. She said, amongst the people of Reuben and the tribe of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. In other words, they put, to, put together a committee and they talked about going to battle a whole lot. But then she says, basically, they stayed home. And they missed out. I don't want to just think about, and I don't even want to just pray about sharing the gospel with people. I want to get engaged in the mission. We don't challenge you in this way because we want to manipulate you to achieve our purposes in the world. We challenge you in this way because, listen to me, there is no greater joy in all the world than seeing a person transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to grab hold of God and to feel him work through you to touch a person's life so that the scales fall from their eyes and they see Christ for who he is. And then you disciple them. That's the one goal, the one mission that we have as a church. And we are going to pound that mission home till we're blue in the face this next year. And let me remind you that all of us are going to stand before God one day. And the only thing that you take with you is the souls of the individuals that you led to faith in Christ. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get before Jesus and show up empty-handed. And I don't want you to either. But I don't want you coming to Lenexa Baptist Church and being a believer and thinking that somehow you can just trust in Christ, know him, his salvation, then go incognito and never tell anybody about Jesus. Now's the time. Today is the day. Let's get involved. And then finally, live holy lives. Because we can't be, that's what he's saying here. We can't share the gospel. We can't do these things if we don't live a life that lends credibility to the gospel message. And I'm challenging all of you today to to evaluate your behavior. Does your life lend credibility to the gospel? Or do people look at you and say, boy, I don't know what they got, but I sure don't want none of it. That's the most grumpy, mean, hateful person I've ever met in my life. You know, the story goes of Alexander the Great. Um, 
there was a young man, young soldier who was on trial, and Alexander the Great walked up to him and said, son, what's your name? Soldier said, my name's Alexander. He said, what's your crime? He said, I ran from the field of battle. Alexander, you could just tell he's getting mad. He said, son, what is your name? Young man said, Alexander. He said, boy, what is your name? He says, Alexander. And Alexander the Great grabbed him by the shirt and pulled him up to his face and said, son, change your name or change your ways, but you can't carry that name and live how you're living. With all the kindness I can say in my heart this morning, if you know Jesus Christ and you're out there sharing the gospel and you're living in sin, a duplicitous life, change your name or change your ways. You're going to live like the world. You're going to be a grumpy Christian who's mean and hateful to everyone around you. Then don't tell them you're a member of Lenexa Baptist Church. Please don't. Because this works hard enough as it is. We need men and women who will, in how they interact with their wives, they will demonstrate godliness and holiness. And how they raise their children, they will demonstrate godliness and holiness how they interact with their co-workers they will demonstrate godliness and holiness and that there would be people out there who say i don't know what they have but i want some of that and how many people you have in your life right now that look at you and say that is the oddest person i've ever met i don't know what in the world they're doing they are strange and that's to be us to some extent But then what I pray is that we'd have bosses who'd say, boy, I don't understand that whole Jesus deal, but I'll take a hundred more workers just like him or her. That's what we're called to be. That's the high calling that God has given to us. That's the challenge I give to you. Prepare your mind for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope. Don't conform and be holy. Let's pray together. God, we, we thank you for the salvation that we have received that compels us to a different way of life. But God, I want to stop right now and pray for anybody that's here that maybe they don't know Christ. And we know these commands are given to believers. And maybe there's some folks thanking themselves in the world. Why why in the world would these folks be so serious about these things? Why in the world would they commit themselves to such a lifestyle, to turning away from their flesh? Why, Why in the world would they do this? And maybe they don't understand, and maybe they're confused because they don't know Jesus. And they don't know what Christ has done for them. And so, God, I just pray with all my heart this morning that you would, that you'd work in their heart today so that they would understand this morning that Christ, who is God, gave up the glory of heaven, came to this earth and died on a cross, not for his sins, but for theirs. Died in their place. He did all the work so that today, apart from no act of their own, except believing in Jesus, they could have their sins forgiven. Holy Spirit placed in their heart a divine purpose that's bigger than themselves and the promise that one day they'll be with you forever in heaven. God, if they don't know that this morning, I pray that your love would so overwhelm them that they couldn't help but run to you, acknowledge their sin, repent, and turn to you in faith. God, for those of us that do know you, the only logical response to such a salvation is to give all of our lives back to you. We've been bought with a price. We're not our own. We don't do these things because we have to, but because we have to. 
with joy in our hearts, we give our life back to you. Lord, help us to lay our lives on the altar this morning, to commit ourselves to your mission, to your word, and to a holy life that backs up the message we proclaim. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.